Now, if that doesn't bother you, these are all people that say they go to church. These are people that say that they're Christians. And, and, and what we've been doing is we've been looking in a series of why we do what we do. And today, what I want to do for you today is I want us to look at the word of God and why do we give full authority to the word of God? What, what, what are things that we believe? And I think what happens is if we're not careful, many times we will look at things in Christianity or, or, or look at things in our lives and they're, they're off a little bit. They're off, they're off a little bit. And if we're, if we're not coming back to the word of God, and if we don't understand what a correct Christian worldview is, we are going to struggle to defend our faith in a world that is very apathetic to the true word of God. And I, I, I had this conversation, Colby, my oldest, he, he's 20, he goes to the University of Rochester. And, and uh, I remember having a conversation, Colby's kind of a thinker, he just doesn't take things at face value. And I can remember when he was about 15, he came up to me and he said, Dad, how do we know that the Bible that we have is really the word of God? And this is what I said to Colby, it is, now go to your room. No, I, you know, I mean, sometimes this is, but here's the thing. Many times what we say is, well, I just, people actually say, well, I just know it is, and that's it. We need to know why it is. This is important. Listen, we don't check our brains at the door when we become followers of Jesus Christ. We can trust the word of God, not because we just believe it or I was raised that way, but we can believe it because it can authenticate itself. It, 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 it can stand the test of critics. Now, here's the thing. What happens is, is, is you may have been raised in the church, and then, and then what we do is we thrust our kids off in, into college, and then all of a sudden they get challenged with some of their beliefs and whether or not the Word of God is the Word of God. And all of a sudden, they don't know how to answer some of these critics, and all of a sudden their, their foundation begins to shrivel away, and we wonder why our millennials or our 20-somethings are walking away from their faith. I think the reason is, is because we've never really given them a firm foundation that can stand up against the critics. And that's what I want to do today. I want us to look at the word of God and understand you can trust this word. And I want us to get beyond this. I just believe the Bible because God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. Now, if that's your only argument, that's not good. Okay, we need to have a little bit more than just that. It may be okay for you just to believe it. But listen, we're living in a world today that just believes in, in just relativism, moral relativism, which basically says whatever is good for you is good for you. But don't place your morals on me. And if we don't, if we're not able to address some of these issues in our world, our faith can easily unravel quickly. And I want to give you a confidence today to understand that the word of God that you read, you can believe it and that it can transform your life when you believe it and understand that it's God's word written to us. And I think the reason why some of our young people walk away from the faith is for the simple reason that they've never had a foundation to stand against other world views. We need to have a Christian worldview and understand why the world is the way it is. And so when, when tragedy comes our way, when things come our way that we don't understand, if we're not standing firmly upon the word of God 
and in a Christian worldview, we are going to struggle in our lives to understand why these things happen. Tim Keller in his book, The Reason for God, makes this great point concerning this very thing. And let me read it for you. He says this, and I, I think this is, this is great. I got up on the screen for you. He says, people who blithely go through life too busy or indifferent to ask hard questions about why they believe as they do will find themselves defenseless against either the experience of tragedy or the probing question of a smart skeptic. Chuck Colson makes this point. He says, Christian faith is not this irrational leap. Examine objectively the claims of the Bible are rational propositions well supported by reason and evidence. The word of God at living word is foundational to everything we do and everything we believe. We need to understand why the Bible is unique and why it's different from every other religious system. We don't place the Bible up against other religious writings, sacred writings, and say they're all the same. We say this is God's word to us, and we believe it is unique and different from every other sacred writing because we believe it indeed is God's word to us. And the only way we can defend our faith in the world today is to know that the Bible is the inspired work of God. It is truth. Not only is it truth, but it must be absolute truth. And that's what we believe. And this is where we may stumble because we stumble over this question of absolute truth. If the Bible is absolute truth, then, then, then we're going to have to be held accountable for the way we live our lives. So the way, the way I, the way I kind of defend myself against this is I'll say, well, I don't believe the word is the absolute truth. So then I can live my life the way I want to live. But if we believe that God's word is absolute truth, then there's an accountability that we have with God about how we live our life. And we live in this world of moral relativism, which says it's right for you, it's right for you, but don't place your morals over my life. It's relative to each person. And so the Bible has to be our standard by which we live. Without it, we are left up to our own demise. And look where that has gotten us. Here at Living Word, we believe in the inspired word of God. We build our church on its authority and we hold it up above everything else, above tradition, above the color that's, that we paint our walls. <laughs> Just want to throw that out there. Be nice. My wife and her, her uh, sister did that. So be nice. They worked hard. They worked hard. Change is good. Everybody say change is good. Let's say it together. Change is good. Good, good. I like good. Now, here's, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I feel it as a privilege to be able to teach the word of God. Now, here's the thing that I want you to understand. Aren't you just glad that I'm not standing up here giving you my opinions? Everybody say amen. amen. That's the, listen, that's the last thing you want. Because here's the thing. I may have an off week. How many of us have an off week? How many of us do some things that are unchristian at times? Are we all together there? Okay, we do. We, we admit there's some things like, did I just do that? Yikes, that wasn't very good, right? And so thank God that we have the word of God that we teach from that's above all those things. Because there may be a week 
that I'm not having a good week with my kids. Maybe it's just a, a bad week. I've got great kids, but I'm having a bad week. And I come into the pulpit, and I'm glad I'm not preaching my opinion, because I make it in the pulpit, and I'm just irritated with my kids. And I just may say something like, if they don't obey, just ship them away. Right? I mean, thank God I had the word of God that, that structures my life that says, Barden, don't get, be careful there. Filter it through the word of God. Your people don't need to hear that, even though you're frustrated, right? Thank God we have the word of God. See, the word of God trumps all that. And thank God you're not hearing from me. Here's, here's the most foundational, one of the most foundational passages that we see in the word of God that authenticates itself and why we believe it has all authority and all truth here. In 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, it says this. It says all scripture. Everybody say all scripture. Okay, in the Greek, that means all scripture, okay? Just for you Greek lovers, that's what it means, okay? All scripture is God-breathed. Let's say it together, God-breathed. We're gonna talk about what that means. And it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly what? Equipped, equipped for every good work. Now, this is the reason why I love the, love the words all scripture because it means all-inclusive, not parts, but all of it. All, all, every book, every 66 book, books in the word of God is God-breathed. Now, what does that mean? The word God-breathed are actually two Greek words placed together, mean theos, which is God, okay? And neo means to breathe. So literally, scriptures were breathed out to God, and God used his vehicle of men to speak this word that we have written down for us today to hear what God has to say to the church. Second Peter 1, 20 and 21 reiterates the same point that Paul was making where it says, above all, we must understand that no prophecy of scripture came about by the, prop- by the prophet's own interpretation of things. Meaning it didn't, it didn't originate with man. It originated with God for prophecy never had its origin in human and the human will, but prophets through humans, through humans spoke from God as they were carried along by who the Holy spirit. So this is important because the word of God does not originate with man or man's thoughts, but God literally what this says is that God breathed his word into existence through the vehicle of these men. And with that, we can trust the Bible. So my question to you this morning is, do you believe this? Do you trust the Bible that it can transform life? Now, if your life has been transformed, you say, amen. It has, it has transformed my life. And in fact, the latest Barner research tells us that 58% believe in the inspired word of God. And 42% are either neutral or skeptical. Some might think that, that how, can we, how can we trust it? Um, it you know, how, how can it, maybe, maybe this word has been changed over the years to complement what we believe. Because that, that's what skeptics would say. How, how can we defend ourselves against this when a skeptic asks, well, okay, that's what you believe, but... Who says that they haven't changed it over the years? And we're going to answer that question. And some would say, well, that's what the Bible says about itself. Don't other religious writings say the same thing? And who's to say the Bible is superior over other writings? These were the questions that my son Colby had. And so what I did was I allowed Colby to read some very heavy reading, and he did. 
And then all of a sudden he just came, comes back to me one day and he says, I'm good. I said, okay, good with what? And he says, I get it. I'm fine. I get, I get why we have the word. And, and because he had to know for himself. And I gave some heavy, like college level reading to read. And he goes, I'm good. I go, good. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. See, some would say, well, that's just what the Bible says. I, I, I don't believe it, so that's all. See, these, these are good questions, and we need, to, we need to ask ourselves these questions. How do we answer the skeptics? See, the question is, do other writings, other sacred writings, do they stand the test of both external and internal evidence? And I want to tell you today emphatically, the Bible does. And, and, and so I'm going to give you some things where we could spend weeks on this topic, but let me give you why I believe this. And so what, what helps us to understand is that the Bible does pass these tests of both external and, and evidence, internal evidence. And before we dig into this, I, I want to show you the uniqueness of the Bible. Why is the Bible so unique? Why is the 66 books of the, uh, that we have in the Bible so unique? What, what's interesting, if you read it from cover to cover, from Genesis to Revelation, what's interesting about this, it has one major theme. It's, it's not this all over the place. It has one major theme, and the major theme of the Bible is this. The overarching theme of the Bible is this. It's God's redemptive plan for man. Man's rebellion brought sin in the world, and then you look at Revelation and how God restores all things and makes all things new again. It's, 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 the Bible is an amazing book. You need to read it sometimes. It's really good. I'm just saying, just, just encourage, just read it. Sometimes. It's really good. And so this is what I desire to do today. I want us to examine the Bible, both through the external and internal evidence. Now, now here's where I want us to be careful because what happens with many Christians is we have these truths and then we end up using these truths as a baseball bat to beat over people's heads. So we take our notes and we go to our neighbor and we go to our friend who may have asked you this question a year ago and say, I've got the answers now. Sit over here and let me tell you, boom, boom. We beat him over the head with the truth. That's not what we're, what we're going to do today. That's, the truth should actually humble us. The, the truth must be handled with humility. This is the reason why. Because Jesus died for people. And Jesus cares for people and we need to care for people. He loves people as we should. And we have a tendency to want to get the truth and never love the person that we're sharing it with. See, just beating someone over the head with the Bible is not going to change their heart. Okay, so let's be careful there. Truth should always humble us and not puff us up. So let's see how the Bible passes the test for both external and, and, and internal evidence. And so let me look at the first one. You've got your notes, so you can follow along. Let's, for, let's first look at the external evidence. And, and, and this is the question a lot of people have because they're like, oh, well, okay, you may believe it internally and just say, okay, yeah, the prophets and it's God's word. And that's what you believe as a Christian. But does it pass the test of this external evidence? And I want to tell you that the, ba- that the Bible passes the test of accurate history. Can it pass the test of accurate history? History, history and archaeology continue to authenticate the accuracy of the Bible. Do you realize there are over 25,000 archaeological digs that have been done to confirm the Bible's accuracy? Somebody say, wow, that's, that's pretty amazing. Let me give you a couple of examples here. Many critics, archaeologists, 
um, really thought that many of the stories in the Bible were just fables. And, and, and two of them being the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah and the walls of Jericho. Now, the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, that's a pretty, that's a pretty wild story, right? Poof, God just, poof, it's done. You know, in salt and fire. And it's just, it's, it's, it's like, wow, that's a pretty cool story. But is it real? Well, the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah was thought to be a fable, but evidence revealed that the cities existed and the way that they were destroyed in the biblical text were in fact backed by archaeological evidence. An excavation in 1930 of Jericho revealed that the walls of Jericho indeed fell outward so the Israelites could climb over them. Everything that happened in Jericho when the Israelites took it over was corroborated through archaeological evidence. Every single detail. Now, let me give you another example. This is an example I just love. I love this example of this nation of the Hittites. And what was thought in the 19th century, there, this was the big argument against the accuracy of the Bible when it came to historicity, if, if it was truly correct. And this was the big argument. The big argument was this big nation of the Hittites that the Bible talks about consistently in the Old Testament. And, uh, and, and many scholars and archaeologists said, ha ha, no Hittite nation. We got you. No Hittites. We got you there. No one's ever, all the archaeological digs, we've never found this country of the Hittites. See, remember when the, when the children of Israel uh, went into the promised land, they were, they were faced with all their enemies, all the ites. Remember all the ites, the Canaanites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, right? The parasites, the socialites, the mosquito bites. Remember all that? And actually mosquito bites were the worst ones, right? Um, these were the enemies, and one of those was the Hittites. Now, historians in the 19th century said, ha, no account of the Hittites. The Bible is not correct. No record of them. Nothing. Nada. We gotcha. Now, the gold standard of history back in the day, many of you remember this, if you're old like me, it was the Encyclopedia Br- Britannica. How many remember that? How many had those sitting in your shelves? And maybe you still do. For, for you young people, that's Google for all us old people, right? That's where we went to to find all our facts. Didn't have our phones just to jump. Man, how convenient is that now? Just like getting information when you had to go to the bookshelf and look up the mail. How inconvenient is it? So, our kids don't know how good they have it. They just don't know. Bunch of spoiled brats. No, I'm just teasing. Our kids, they, they have it well. I'm just teasing. So that, that was a gold standard. And it was funny because they gave a little press in, in, in this Encyclopedia Britannica, they give a little press to the so-called inaccuracy by saying, this is what they said, and I quote, they said, we anxiously await any proof that the Hittite nation ever existed as the Bible says. In your face, you Bible believers, you Bible thumpers. In 1906, there was a huge discovery in modern day Turkey that revealed overwhelmingly the nation of the Hittites. In fact, they found 10,000 clay tablets when authenticated the archeologists and all the scholars were just blown away by this discovery. This discovery literally stunned archeologists now, I want to give you a little side note, just a little. This is just off the cuff. I heard somebody say this, and I thought it was excellent. 
For those of you that are looking for a spouse, archaeologists make the best husbands and wives for this reason. The older you get, the more they appreciate you. Okay, just saying, okay? Just, they're good. So just throwing that out there. Find one. They'll appreciate all you get. They're like, love the gray hair. And, okay. There is a, there's, a, there's a Jewish, I love this quote by a Jewish expert in archaeology. His, his name is Dr. Nelson Gluick. And he says this. Here's his quote. Expert in archaeology, a Jewish archaeologist. He says this. He says, there is no archaeological discovery that has ever contradicted the Bible. Amen. Everybody say, wow. Wow. Okay. So for all the critics out there that say, well, there's your external evidence of historicity that is, has yet to confirm any inaccuracy of the historicity of the Bible and its claims that it makes. In fact, let's go back to the Encyclopedia Britannica. They had to actually update their content to match the Bible. So here's a good question. Has the Bible ever had to update its history? Like the Encyclopedia Britannica. It hasn't. There, in fact, are over 5,366 Greek copies to draw from, just from the New Testament, not including the Old Testament, which we have over 25,000 total copies of portions and manuscripts to draw from. There is nothing in historicity that even comes close to that. There's not even another ancient writing that even comes close to that, that we have in the word of God. But yet, isn't it interesting how we believe all those other writings of Plato and Socrates? We believe all those, right? We just take those as fact. But yet, we have overwhelmingly much more manuscripts and ancient writings to draw from to authenticate the word of God that we have. And if you were to take any of these manuscripts and match them to the Bible that you have today, that's the question. Well, Pastor, can we take those in the Bible that I'm reading today? Is it accurate? And can I trust it? If you were to take all these manuscripts and match them to the Bible you had today, do you know how accurate it would be? Yes, Ruth, very. Okay. But let me give it, let me give you, let me give the percentage. Are you ready? 99.5% accurate. The 0.05% is only grammar. This is huge. See, what you have in your hand has not changed or been corrected to reflect something new that we may know. Nothing. That's why this is the best seller of all time. Because why? 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 just coincidence wake up and have a v8 right wake up this is god's word that's why and the more discoveries they make more like, oh i just it, it just i'm just like oh, okay comes and goes comes and goes comes and goes but the word of god stands forever stands forever okay so let's look at some internal evidence and, and, what, and this is what I love. I love, there, there's so many, uh, listen, I could have done so many more external evidence, but let me just give you some internal evidence here that reveals how the Bible um, stands on its own. The Bible passes this test of consistency. This is important. The Bible passes this test of consistency. It doesn't refute itself. And, and here's, here's what makes the word of God so interesting. The Bible is written over 1500 years by 40 different authors on three different continents and three different languages. Now, let me just, you may think, okay, that's cool. That's a neat fact. But let me just, let me make this real to you today. Can you imagine trying to get 40 
authors together to write on one topic? How many realize you would be all over the page? Try to get a couple people together that seen an accident and get the same story. They're all standing there like, how can eyewitnesses get so many things and see it so many different ways on, a, on maybe something as simple as a car accident? 40 different authors that write on one topic over 1,500 years and the authors being all of different backgrounds. It's the word of God. How many of you have ever played the telephone game where you say something? I want to do it right now. I need, I need 10 people just to come up front. We're going to play the telephone game. Just 10 people. Just come up real quick. Stand right here with me. Okay, good, good. 10 people. Come on. Here we go. Just stand in a straight line. We're going to play the telephone game. I need five more people. Okay, Pastor Brandon, six, four. Come on. Come on. All right. Corey, come on down. One, two, three, four, five. I need four more people. Real quick. Come on. Come on. Come on. You guys are so shy. There we go. There we go. All right. That's good. All right. Good. You guys are good. Okay, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to start with Ann on this side, and you guys are going to whisper in each other's ears, okay? We're going to come all the way down. I, I am, Steve. Thank you, Steve. Thank you, Steve. I will, I will turn off my mic. I'm going to whisper in there. We're going to go all the way down, and we're going to see how... And then I'll have, I'll have up on the screen what was actually said. So can we play some background music or something? So, All right, for those of you that helped out, if you don't have a Living Word coffee mug after the service... Go, go, go ask Penny, and you guys can get a Living Word coffee mug, okay? See, listen. Next time I ask for you to help, come on up. You may get something, okay? If you don't have All right. Good job. Now, here, li- listen. That was just a small experiment. Can you imagine trying to do this over 1,500 years, get 40 different authors, and, and to try to cooperate with each other to get the same theme through the Word of God that doesn't contradict itself? Why? Why? Because it wasn't originated from man. D- does that make sense now? It was originated from the Holy Spirit. God breathed this out into man who gave this to us that we can read it for ourselves. You've, you, listen to the background of the authors. You've got fishermen. You've got fishermen. You've got fishermen, man. I like that. You've got doctors, prophets, kings, scribes, religious leaders, tax collectors, shepherds. All who are part of God's word. And why is there such unity? Because God was the initiator. Now, here's the thing that I love about the word of God that, that just, it just authenticates God's word over and over again. And, and, and it's, through, uh, it's through biblical prophecy. The Bible passes the test of prophetic accuracy. Do you realize that in the Bible there are over a thousand prophecies? Now, you were to think, if you're going to trust a book and they're going to start throwing out prophecies, don't you think that would make that book very vulnerable? If you're going to start throwing out prophecies, not only just one, but if you're going to start throwing out a thousand prophecies and you want to get people to criticize the Bible, that's the way to do it. Why wasn't God afraid of that? Because it was his word. It was his word. And so we have over a thousand prophecies, 300 alone concerning Jesus himself. It was predicted where Jesus would be born. A star would be a sign, his lineage, how he would die, how much he would be betrayed for, that he would rise again. Wise men coming into Jerusalem, looking for Jesus, got the answer from the scribes. They go into Jerusalem. They say, Hey, we're following the star. We're looking for this Messiah. 
And guess where the scribes went to, to point them to the way of Bethlehem. They went to the scriptures. They went to prophecy. They said, well, we're going to look into our prophetic book here. And we're going to look into what the word of God says. And prophecy says he'll be born in Bethlehem. Can you get any more specific than that? It's amazing. It's astronomical, the probability of these prophecies coming true in one man. Now, if, you're, if, if, if you geek out over math, you're going to like this. For those that you don't geek out over math, just put up with this because this is really interesting stuff. So if you geek out over math, this is some good stuff. What, what is probability? Well, probability is known as odds. It's the branch of mathematics that measures the likelihood that a given event will occur. To begin with, I want you to look at some interesting odds. Let's look at some inter- interesting odds here. Now, what are the odds of being struck by lightning in a year? Well, the odds for that are 7 times 10th to the 5th power or 1 in 700,000. Of being struck by lightning. God forbid any of you. That's not what you want to do. So stay indoors when it's lightning. Actually being killed by lightning in one year. Is two times ten to the sixth power. Or one in two million. Becoming president. It's one in ten to the seventh power. Or one in in ten million. A meteorite landing on your house. That would really be kind of cool. I don't know about you. Maybe not. But that would be kind of cool. It's 1.8 times ten to the 14th power. In all likelihood, that's not going to happen. The probability that eventually one day you will die, one in one. Okay, so that's 100%. Now, what's interesting here, what are the odds of Jesus not fulfilling, let's say, all 300 prophecies, but just eight? There's a mathematician that actually came up with these odds. And his name was Dr. Peter Stoner. He's the author of the book, Science Speaks. And he discovered the probability of Jesus fulfilling eight prophecies. And he took eight prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. Josh McDowell's book, Evidence That Demands a Verdict. Great book, highly recommended. Get it, grab it, read it, you'll like it. He goes through all these different, different evidence of the Bible and Jesus and, and did a great work with it. But he quotes from Peter, uh, Dr. Peter Stoner here. And he, he basically says, for instance... Where would he be born? How much money he would be betrayed for? What type of death he would die? And here's what he came up with. The odds of Jesus, not, not just 300, but just eight was this. It was one chance with 17 zeros. That, that now, that number is, because some of you think, well, what is that, what is that number? What, what does that number mean? Here, it, it, what that number is, is, one in a gazillion chance. I have no idea what that, it's Google Plus. I don't even know what the number is. It's just a lot of zeros. Everybody say, wow. That, that's, that's a wow. Okay. So the problem that this happened is one to 10 in the 17th power, 17 zeros. That's one with 17 zeros, just fulfilling eight prophecies. Now, what he did was, because that just blow that I don't even understand. I'm looking at Colby's, he's an engineer major. I'm looking at his math work, his midterms, applied mathematics. He's above all the calculus classes. Now. And I'm looking at the chicken scratching on our kitchen counter going, how in the world does your brain compute that? I have, it looks, it makes no sense. Where did you get your brain? We have to do a DNA check on you because you are not our child. There's no way you got that from me or your mother. So, let, so what he did was he tried to explain this. And hopefully this will make sense to you. What he said is this. He made an illustration. He said, this would be to, for Jesus fulfilling just these eight prophecies. 
If you took 10 to the 17th power, you took that many silver coins, it would literally cover the state of Texas two feet deep. So you can get your, now, now you're starting to get your mind. Is Texas a big state? Is everything in Texas big? Yeah, big state. So that's how many, that's how many silver dollars that it would take that many to cover the state of Texas two feet deep. Now, this takes it a little further. Now blindfold somebody. Tell that person that they can walk as far as they want, but they must pick up the first silver dollar, and the first silver dollar that they pick up must be the right one that was marked. That would be the same chance as Jesus fulfilling just eight prophecies or eight prophecies coming true in one man. Wow. See, but, but wait a minute. You may be hearing me say, wait a minute, Pastor. Wait a minute. Okay, stop dazzling me with all your facts and your figures and your one to the 10th, 17th, and your gazillion talks. Stop dazzling me with all this smoke and mirror. Wait a minute, wait a minute. You might be here and you say, wait a minute, Pastor. What if the writers of the New Testament doctors doctored the writings to match that of the life of Jesus? Huh? What about that? I'm so glad you asked because that's a good question. Here is my answer. My answer is, is a little thing that happened, and actually it was a huge thing that happened, in 1947. 1947 was a good year. Here's the reason why. There was this Bedouin shepherd boy who was in the Qumran region, and he was throwing stones, and this Qumran region is by the Dead Sea, and he was throwing stones into a cave. What, what, what shepherd kid wouldn't do that? Right? You're just throwing stones, and all of a sudden he threw a stone in this one cave, and he heard this crash. And he says, buried treasure. Right, there's something in there. So he climbed and he climbed into this cave and he found one of the greatest archaeological discoveries of the time. What was found was these Old Testament manuscripts of the Bible. In fact, these documents were dated a thousand years before any manuscript we had. One of the scrolls they found was the giant Isaiah scroll. And I was actually able to go to some years ago to Toronto, Canada. They, they, they brought the Dead Sea Scrolls and they toured them around the United States. And I was actually able to go to Toronto, Canada to actually see this scroll. Parts of it, not the whole thing, but parts of it. It was amazing. It was just like, who would ever geek out over, you know, these thousands of year old scrolls? I did. I just thought it was amazing. And how it was preserved was amazing. Because it is so arid in that part of the world that these scrolls were perfectly preserved because of the aridness of the region. And so you have this scroll that is a thousand years older than any other scroll that we found from these Bedouin shepherd boys. And so, and so what we have here is we have this scroll, and this one giant Isaiah scroll was actually written 300 years before Christ. Now take a guess at which book of the Old Testament contains the most prophecies about Jesus? Ruth? Did someone say it over there? I heard it. Isaiah. Thank you, Julie. Isaiah. Isaiah contains 125 prophecies about Jesus. They found a complete scroll of guess what book? Thank you, Ruth. There she is. She was on it there. She was not going to miss it there. Isaiah. 
This manuscript matches almost perfectly with the later manuscript that they had of Isaiah. The only differences, once again, were grammar. That's it. Which tells us there is no way that the New Testament writers changed a thing in the Old Testament to match the prophecies about Jesus. Yeah, I did. I just did. I just did, Ruth. I said it was in Toronto. Yes, I know. I did. I just told him, Ruth. Goodness gracious. Will you just... Will you just... Goodness gracious. Will you turn up your hearing aid over there, Ruth, okay? Just what? My goodness. (laughs) Let's all pray. Jesus, help us. This message... We are definitely putting the second message online. This one is not good. Maybe we should. People will say, stay away from that church. So here's the question. Let me wrap this up. Here's the question. Here's the, pre- here's the question. See, the problem is this. You're going to have, you're going to have your armchair so-called theologians are going to throw questions out at you at work and your family members that probably haven't studied it enough to answer these questions. Most likely. They're just going to, well, I heard, and -and so-and-so said, and this is what I heard from, and they don't even know what they're talking about half the time. See, the problem is this. It's not whether or not the word of God is true. It's whether or not we believe it. See, the problem is within the heart of man. And because we are born sinful, and and because of the proclivity of our hearts, that's the reason why we don't want to believe. And and see, here's here's the thing. Can we trust it? Yeah. So what's the problem? The problem is us. Mark Twain has this great quote. He says, he goes, it ain't those parts of the Bible that I can't understand that bother me. It's the parts that I do understand. Barry Leventhal said this, there are none who are as deaf as those who do not want to hear. See, see, we, we can sit there all day long and say, but, but, but here are my notes that I got from my pastor's message. Here, read them. The Bible's true. But remember, it's the spirit of God that draws men. It's our faith in Christ Jesus that changes. Faith comes by, faith comes by hearing and hearing by what? The word of God. So we have to believe it. We have to live it. Trust God. He does. He does. He works amazingly. But it's the hardness of man's heart that keeps them from hearing. G.K. Chesterton of apologist, just prolific writer. He was asked this question. He said, if you were stranded on a desert island and you had, and you have only one book, which would it be? What do you think he said? No, he didn't say the Bible. He didn't say the Bible. You know what he said? He said, if I had one book to choose from all the books that were written, he said, I would choose Thomas's guide to practical shipbuilding. See, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Chesterton wanted to get off the island. He wanted a book. He wanted to get unstuck. He wanted to get off the island. And that's the question. That's the question. If you are confused about life, if you are not sure about your eternity, this is the book that will get you unstuck. 
This is the book that will breathe life into you. Why? Because it's God's word to you. This is what he wants you to see. This book will give you life. This book is God's treasure to you. This is our map to understand God's purpose, to understand God's will. If you knew that there was a buried treasure in your backyard worth millions, would you let the thing sit there? Or would you hire someone with a backhoe to work all day long, no matter how dug up your backyard would be, to get that treasure out? You would. And I love watching those shelves, looking for old pirate treasure. It's fun. But here we have the word of God. And it sits on our shelves. And we don't even pick it up. And here's how I want to challenge you. Not to browbeat you, not to say, read your word, read your word. But here's what I want you to do. Because I believe the biggest evidence that proves, it's not, it's not the internal, it's not the external. Here's why I know the biggest, biggest evidence that the word of God is true is because of a changed life. That's how I know it's true. Because I've seen it directly work in my life and no one can convince me otherwise. So here's what I want to challenge you. Here's what I want to challenge you today. Here's what I want you to do. Some of you may dig into the word of God and that's great. You have your devotionals and and so on and so forth. But here's what I want to challenge you this week. I want you to read Psalms 119. Just read it. It's, 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 It's 176 verses, so you can take it at chunks. All through, the reason why I like Psalms 119 is because the psalmist consistently through it speaks of the word of God, the precepts of the word of God. And I believe it will encourage you. So that's the Old Testament passage I want you to read. Read Psalms 119. Challenge yourself to do it. Read chunks, maybe 10, 20 verses a day. And the other thing I want you to do is read the book of James. Read the book of James. It, it'd probably take you 20 minutes to read it in one setting. And what I want you to do is as you read through the book of James, I want you to apply the precepts that are brought out in the book of James and begin to live them out in your life and watch the difference that it makes. That will be, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And some of you are here today and you say, Pastor, you know, my life is stuck. Or you may be, you say, man, I've been a Christian for a while and and, and I, I just, I'm in a rut. I'm in a rut with my Bible reading. You know, I'm just, just, just generally, I'm just in a rut, Pastor. I want you to realize that God wants to breathe new life into you. And the way he does it is through his word. Now listen, listen. Don't, don't read his word like it's some magical pill that you take and then all your problems are going to go away. That, that's not the purpose. The purpose is that it's a foundation for your life. And when you begin to study and learn the word of God and you begin to apply its precepts to your life, it gives you a foundation that makes you look at this life in a completely different way. So here's the thing. When Jesus says in this world, you're going to have trouble and tribulation. What is he telling us? That life is going to be easy? It's going to be a cakewalk? No, Jesus actually told him, it's going to be difficult. But he said, take heart because I've overcome the world. So knowing that, that that's in the word of God, John 16, 33, if I, if I know that's in the word of God, then all of a sudden, you know what I say to myself? I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm going through this trial for a reason. But I know Jesus isn't going to leave me and my hope is ultimately in him because he conquered 
this world. So do I have to worry and fret? No, because I know that Jesus has it under control. Now it begins to change my worldview that says, wait a minute, um, just because I'm a Christian doesn't mean that I'm not going to go through difficult things. See, if we're not reading the word of God and applying to our lives, then when bad things happen to us or trials come our way, then we're like, well, is God mad at me? Does God not love me? No, he does. Nothing can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Nothing. So as you read that in Romans, all of a sudden you're like, wait a minute. This trial's not going to separate me from God's love. I can trust his love that he's going to be with me even through this difficult thing in my life. Notice how it gives you a different world perspective. It changes your heart. It changes your perspective. It gives you a greater love for other people. God's word does. It's his word to you and I to help you traverse through this world. This is God's treasure to us. Please don't let it sit on your shelf. Please don't let the word of God be something that you only hear once a week when you come here. Let it be the treasure that it is to speak to your heart. Listen, listen. The more you read it, the more it becomes foundational in your life. It becomes your cornerstone to help you to traverse through this world. And what's going to be amazing, the more you read it, things are going to pop up in your head like, where did that go? Oh, yeah. I was reading about this. Oh, yeah. This is circumstance that, that the apostles went, oh, I read about that. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And when you begin to memorize the word of God, you take it with you everywhere you go. God is faithful. I want you, I want us to become a people that completely lean on the promises of God. That the promises of God become higher than any trial that we will ever go through. The word of God is greater than all that. All that. It never, ever fails. So maybe you're here today and maybe you haven't trusted that or maybe you haven't trusted Christ in your life. I'm here to tell you today that you can trust him. He will never let you down and his word is true. Put it to the test. Begin to trust it and see how faithful God is to his word. He's faithful to his word and he will not let you down. So I want to stand today as we just close this time together. Thank you for being so just conscientious to, to hearing God's plan as word for you today. Amen. Lord, I thank you for today. We thank you for your word. I, I pray, Lord, for every single person in this place today that maybe is just going through a time of just dryness or not truly relying on your word. God, I pray that it would become so real to them that it, it would be that living word to them, God, that it would be that, that breath of life in the, those, the, just as, as the psalmist says, as the deer panteth for the water, so my soul longs for you, God. And may we be a people that long for your word and may it be established in our hearts that as we traverse through this world, we would know that you're with us and that would ultimately be our hope that we wouldn't become ultimately discouraged by the things in this world because we know that you're with us and your word is guiding us, God. So let us become a people of your word. Let us obey it and listen to it. Thank you for giving us this precious treasure so that we can know your will and that we can walk in your ways. We're grateful, God. 
thank you for not leaving us abandoned or, or leaving us without understanding what we need to do in our lives. Your word guide us, it guides us and leads us, Lord. So we thank you for this time and your word, Lord. We love you. We thank you. Let it become real to us, I pray. Let it change our hearts. Let it cause us to grow closer to you. And let it cause us to love people in a deeper way. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Listen, listen, before I let you go, um, if any of you uh, need prayer, our prayer partners will be up front and we'd love to pray with you. Otherwise, go in God's grace. Have a wonderful week. God bless you guys. See you next week.